0: hey, don't just go to church, but be the church. It was January of 2000 when I realized that Jesus had been after my heart. He had been calling me into relationship with him. And it was that year that I trusted him as the Lord and leader of my life. Now, I, I didn't know much in that moment, but I knew one thing was for sure. One thing I knew for sure is that I had to go to church. Now, one of the the churches I started going to was actually run by this old football coach turned pastor. And so he was always saying things like, look, the church is not a cruise ship where you're just sitting around sipping margaritas and letting the sun hit you, but instead it is a battleship. Come on, those of you who work over in the shipyard or former Navy men and women, he was saying, look, the church is a battleship where everyone needs to be in their position so the church can fulfill its mission. He would say things like, look, the, God doesn't want you sitting on the bench. He wants you in the game. He wants you to be in the game, on the field, in the game. And so I remember hearing things like that, thinking, you know what? I need to get in the game. In fact, he even threatened us. If we didn't get involved in the church, we'd have to run laps around the building, which I'm thinking about doing right here at Coastal Church in Chesapeake. But he, said, he would say things like that all the time. Look, you need to be involved in the church. So I knew I needed to get involved. So I started to serve in the middle school ministry and also as an usher, greeting people as they would come into church and helping them find a seat on Sunday mornings. And I remember up until that point, and you may just be thinking that I'm saying this just because I'm a pastor, but up until that point, I really thought that church was just something that you went to because you had to. And I really did feel like I was just going to church. But after I started to get involved, after I started to serve, I didn't feel like I was just going to church, but I felt like I was actually part of the church, that was literally being the church, especially as we would serve and we would share the gospel verbally, but also tangibly as we served. Hey, today in this passage in Colossians that Emily just read, Paul shows us how to be the church how to see that when we serve others, even if it's an inconvenience, it really does make a difference in our world. You've heard it said before, and I said it a little bit earlier, but here at Coastal, we are on a mission to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways we do that is when we serve together in ministry and in mission. Last week, we talked about how we need to set our minds on things above. And today, I wanna share with you two mindsets that we need to have when it comes to serving. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says again, but this time, let's start in verse 22. He says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. The first mindset we need to have when it comes to serving is to remember in whatever you do, whatever circumstance or situation you find yourself in, in whatever you do, serve. Couple quick thoughts about this first part of the passage. You know, Paul, if you read Colossians chapter 3, all throughout this passage, Paul is is giving instructions for the Colossian church on how to be the church inside the church, but also when they're in their homes. In fact, right before this, he's talking to the church. He's talking to moms and dads, children in the homes, how you respond to each other, how you are be the church in the home, when you're gathered together, but also when you're outside in the world. But right here, he starts specifically talking to a group of people called bond servants. Now, depending on what translation you're reading, that word may be translated bond servants, but it may also be translated with the word slave. In fact, in verse 22, in the original language, that word is the word slave there in the Bible. Now, a couple quick notes on that. First of all, the Bible never, ever, ever in any shape or form advocates slavery in any way. But here Paul is recognizing that it was happening in the first century, even where the church in Colossae was located. Now, oftentimes when we hear the word slavery, we often think about what happened in the very early days of American history where Africans were sold and bought in America and were treated as less than human beings, not even recognized as human beings by slave owners. In fact, even worse than that sin of slavery that happened in America, people would actually take God's word and twist it to try to justify that. In fact, have you ever heard of the slave Bible? If you're ever in Washington, DC, you need to check out the Museum of the Bible. The Museum of the Bible, man, it showcases how just meticulous translators have been maintaining the, the, the authenticity of God's word like throughout the years and all the things that God has done to preserve his word. So we know what we're reading today is indeed God's word, but they also have sections that show when people try to twist God's word Or change it for their own personal benefit, their own personal gain. And there's a section in the Bible Museum where it has something called the Slave Bible. And what it was during the very early 1800s, the 19th century, uh, the slave owners would actually take portions of the Bible and rip it out. In fact, they would rip out sections like Exodus chapter 21, where God even actually talks about what it means when you have a slave. Now, now, a couple, another really clear distinction, when we're talking about slavery, even in the Bible, like what it was actually pointing to was more indentured servitude. In fact, when that language was used, it was someone who oftentimes would either have a debt that they needed to pay off, or they were too poor to be able to take care of their family. So they would, in essence, go to someone who was wealthier, a landowner, a ruler, and say, you know, I'm going to work for you so that I can afford to pay for my family. They were a servant. But even in that case, God said, look, after seven years, six years, this person will work for you. And then in the seventh year, they will be set free. So even in that, God wanted any servant that would work for somebody that at some point the contract would end, all the debts would be erased and that person would be set free. It was never meant to be this abusive, sinful form of slavery where people would be treated less than human, even killed simply because of who they were. And so they would rip out portions of the Bible, but only leave parts like what we just read, Colossians chapter three, verse 22 in there, where it says, look, slaves obey your earthly masters in every way they will leave those parts in to manipulate or even abuse people. And people have tried to use verses like this in the Bible to justify vile and wicked behavior, but never did God advocate slavery in his word. But in every case, the Bible actually tries to raise how people viewed people so they could see the way that God sees them as his image bearers made by him and in need of the gospel. Look, Paul says, look, in a moment, he's gonna address masters, right, right now he's actually addressing those who will be in this bond servanthood, who have trusted Christ and were found themselves in this servitude, this indentured service, this slavery position in the first century. And Paul even goes as far to say, look, don't serve those over you to please them, but instead you do it with this sincerity of heart, You do it with a sincerity of heart. He says, look, in whatever you do, serve heartily. Now the word heartily right there in verse 23, it isn't talking about your literal heart, okay? But usually when the Bible points to the heart, it's talking about your soul. It's a reference to the real you. What you really think, what you really feel, what you really know. It's a reference to the real you, And Paul's telling this church, look, even if you are a slave with a debt to pay off, serve wholeheartedly. If you want a position as a slave because of the Roman government, serve wholeheartedly. In whatever circumstance you are now in, he says, look, remember, you are in Christ and now in the church. So whatever situation you are in, remember, you do it by serving wholeheartedly. In fact, he says this, letter A, write this down in your notes. He says, remember, you are really serving Christ. Not men, not people. You are really serving Christ. In fact, a more modern context for this would be an employer-employee relationship. Paul says, you need to remember, look, in whatever you do, you are really serving the Lord, that's why he says, look, serve Christ with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with the real you, so that you can show others that even in whatever circumstance you find yourself in, that Jesus really is first in your life, that you, are, that he, you see him as preeminent. And he even reminds these bond servants, these people who were in this indentured, indentured servanthood, he says, remember, look, you also have a bigger inheritance Coming, he says, he says, look, remember this, because remember in the first century, the slaves, uh, again, it wasn't like we saw in American history, but these were slaves who were even in first century Roman culture. They might actually still have been abused, but they had some of the lowest social status in Roman culture. But they were given all sorts of jobs to do. I mean, a bond servant, someone in this indentured servanthood in the first century They may have done anything from taking care of children, um, teaching children, cooking, cleaning, running errands, uh, managing properties or households. But because of the status that the Roman government set up, they never got paid much. So forget about any type of um, retirement they might have. Forget about any type of inheritance they might get. They were paid very, very little, literally not paid what they were worth. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Have you ever felt like you were not getting paid what you're worth? Have you ever felt like maybe someone who's over you in the org chart made you feel like you were less than other people? And see, Paul's letting the people know who the rest of the culture often saw as the least. Paul's letting them know that God sees you as so much more. Look, he's saying, look, you will get an inheritance with Christ. You are a child of the king. You are a part of this kingdom that he's building. My God will supply all of your riches, all of your needs in accordance to his riches in Christ Jesus you are a co-heir with Christ. You are more than the status that the world has given you because Christ is in you. And then look again what he says in verse 25. He says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. Again, with God, there is no partiality. And Paul is telling these bond servants, these people who have the, the low social status according to the Roman government, that in Christ and in the church, look, people will do them wrong. Look, there will be masters, bosses, leaders who treat them unfairly and also treat them unjustly. But again, that does not determine their worth because God will indeed take care of them and provide for them. But he's reminding him, look, you're gonna have some situations that you're in when you are taken advantage of. Write this down, letter C, okay? Remember when we're serving in whatever area, remember that you may get taken advantage of, but serve with care. Even if someone is trying to take advantage of you, we are still called to serve. Come on, healthcare worker in the room. You may be trying to serve people in the hospital at the doctor's office, and they may yell at you and tell you how much stuff they've learned on Google, but you are still called to serve. First responders in the room, you may be trying to help people and serve them, but as they're spitting on you, trying to resist arrest from you, trying to deny help from you, it still is an opportunity to remember that God has called you to serve with your whole heart, to heartily serve others teachers in the room. I hate to break it to you, school is getting ready to start again. And for the past couple of years it's probably been one of the most difficult seasons if you're a teacher or you're working at school from pushback from pandemics, pushback from government, pushback from parents. You may even want to quit right now because you feel like everyone is walking all over you. But even in that case God has called you to serve So serve with your whole heart, serve with care. In whatever you do, whatever situation or circumstance you find yourself in, you serve. So the first mindset we see here is, look, in whatever we do, we need to serve. But the second mindset is, in serving, we need to walk in wisdom. In serving, we need to walk in wisdom, This is what Paul says in chapter four, verse one. He says, look, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You know, back in chapter three, verse 25, Paul reminds the Colossian church, look, God does not show partiality, which means whether you're rich or poor, whether you are a bondservant or a master in the church, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, Whatever your status is, grace raises it all. So now he addresses the masters, the bosses saying, look, the the very same Jesus that the servants, the one who had that low social class in the church, in culture, the very same Jesus that they're serving is the very same Jesus that you're serving as well. They had the same Lord and the same same privileges that God Gives to people who are in his kingdom, in his family. And Paul says, Look, he wants to say something again for the people who are listening. He wants to remind them again that they have the same master. Write this down. I know I said it before, but I want to say it again. You are really serving Christ. Look, if you are a boss, a leader, However you find yourself, you are serving Christ. Again, back in the first century, if you were a boss, a ruler, or a master, typically they were tyrants, or typically they were maybe full of pride and and sometimes just downright mean to the people who were serving them. In fact, their status will often give them some type of complex that they were way above here and everyone else was way beneath them down here. And Paul's saying, look, right now, everyone, if you are in church and in Christ, everyone has the same master. And he's saying, look, if you are a master, if you're a boss, if you're a leader, and out of you have trusted Christ, you are in Christ and in the church, man, you are now called to be a different type of leader. Man, the type who sees people who will work for them as equal with with them in God's kingdom, co-heirs with Christ, And they are to treat those who are working for them well, to serve them justly and fairly. To remember that they need to walk in this wisdom of knowing Christ, treating people the way that Christ would treat them. But then Paul turns the focus back to the church as a whole. And in chapter 4, verse 2, like he says, look, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. You know, as I was looking back over this passage this week, I started looking back over the book of Colossians just to see how many times. I feel like this theme of Thanksgiving kept coming up over and over and over again. And in the book of Colossians alone, five different times, Paul lets the church in Colossae know. He reminds them: look, we need to have hearts that are thankful. You need to be thankful toward God. You need to be thankful for what he's done in your life, what he will do in your life, his faithfulness. You need to have hearts that are literally overflowing with thanksgiving as God is building you. And I know I've been asking this question each week that we've been doing this series. I've been asking the question, look, is Jesus first in your life? But today I wanna ask you the question, are you thankful? The Colossian church was doing pretty well overall. They were facing some challenges, having some false teachers come in, trying to deny the deity of Christ, trying to get them to uh, see Jesus in a different way. And Paul was reminding them of the truth of the gospel so that the church could continue to be built up. But remember, Paul is actually writing this letter to the church in Colossae from prison. Paul wasn't doing so well. But even in this moment, he's saying, look, We need to focus on thanksgiving. So right now, church, in the moment you find yourself in, in the season you find yourself in, hey, today on Sunday morning, are you thankful? Right now, you may not have the best job in the world. You may not have that dream job that you were promised once you graduated college, but can you be thankful that you just have a job? Right now, you may be single in the room, but can you be thankful right now that God does love you? And at least for the moment, there's no dirty diapers that you have to change. Amen. (laughs) Right now, you may not know how you're going to get through what it is that you're going through. You may find yourself in the moment where maybe your boss is a tyrant. You may find yourself in a moment right now where your health, may you just got a report that you don't know what the prognosis or diagnosis is going to be. But right now, can you even be thankful that God has seen you through before? He's with you right now and he promises to see you through again. Are you thankful? Paul tells him, look, to pray, to be thankful, but he also tells them in verse three, he says, look, we need to also pray for an opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ, to declare the gospel. Letter B in your notes, write this down. We need to serve and also communicate the gospel. Look, in whatever you do as you serve, we need to find ways and to pray for ways that we can communicate the gospel to others, I mentioned this last week, but a few weeks ago, we were on a trip to Puerto Rico on a missions trip down there. And we work with this incredible, Coastal Partners with this incredible organization called Hunger Corps. And what they do is they actually will help build homes they share the gospel with people, but then they also help them produce sustainable income so they can provide for their families. I know some of you went on a trip earlier in June, then we went on another trip in August, and we were helping to build a home for families there. And man, we mixed so much concrete while we were there, like my arms still hurt from mixing all of that concrete. And in fact, if you went on one of those two mission trips or both mission trips, raise your hand up, okay? You went on one of mission trips this year, raise your hand up, yeah. Um, So, man, we really, really enjoyed that time. But one of the things that we did while we were on that trip as we were serving these families in need, one of the things that we did, I love that as we were going around and as we were serving with each other, people would share their Jesus story. (laughs) They would share how Jesus has changed their life Sharing what the gospel has meant to them. But then as we were praying for the people that we were serving, we would also share the gospel. In fact, we did this huge community block party where the neighborhood that hunger is working with, we invited people out from the neighborhood. and We had inflatables there. And you want to know one of the things that we did as we were serving? We also took a moment and we shared the gospel. Paul says, look, you need to pray that your speech is seasoned, it is sprinkled with the salt and the grace of the gospel. We said this just a few weeks ago that we need to think about how can we pray for whoever God's gonna put into our circle, how can we have an opportunity, how can we be ready to share the gospel? Because at the end of the day, when we serve, it's still all about the gospel letting people know the good news about who Jesus is. That yes, God does love them. He does care for them. He sees the needs that that they have and he wants to provide for them. But everyone was born with this problem of sin. And if we do nothing about this sin problem, we're gonna spend eternity apart from God. And in fact, sin breaks us. It breaks those in our lives and it also breaks our own hearts. It produces brokenness in us. But the good news is that while we were still sinners, Jesus, who is God, came into this earth and he died on the cross for us. And three days later, he bodily rose from the dead. And if we repent and believe in what Jesus has done, we're going to recover and pursue God's design. We will experience his life to the full. So in every way that we serve, when we're walking in wisdom to serve others, we need to pray for and look for ways that we can share the gospel. And last point I wanted to share with you, write this down, letter C, you serve in the church and also in the community. You know, all throughout this letter, Paul's been showing the Colossian church, he says, look, you be the church when you're gathered together, when you're in the home but also when you are literally around outsiders, you share the gospel, you be the church in the church, but also when you are out in the community. And it's a reminder that we need to serve both in the church and also in the community as well. Now, church, I I want to share with you two last quick things that are not in your notes, okay? And these are two things that I wanted to admit to you today. So these are side notes. Um, if you want to take a nap right now, you can. But I want, I want, to, want to share with you two things that I wanted to admit to you. Um, the, first, the first one is, does anybody have any trigger words? It's like when you hear maybe a phrase or a statement, and then it just causes something to rise up in you. For you, it's, it's something political uh, maybe you just hear the name President Trump or President Biden. And that produces all sorts of emotions in you, just hearing that. Maybe it's maybe something around sports. Uh, maybe you hear that now J-Lo has just as many rings as the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe that's just a trigger word for you. Like you hear, like you hear something like that and just produces this, this tension in you. And I don't, know, I don't know what it is, but I wanted to avoid verse 22 today that we read a little bit earlier. In fact, if you look at your notes, the notes actually say that we were going to start in verse 23. Emily, I had you read starting in verse 23. But as I was studying the passage, I had to go back to verse 22. And there's something about when, when I hear the term slave, it's a trigger word for me. Now, now some of it might just be because sometimes people will ask me and they say, man, if there was another like century or time you could have lived in, what century or time would you have loved to live in? Maybe pioneer days. And I said, no, this time is the best time (laughs) because even just a hundred years ago, I couldn't have married my wife. 200 years ago, I may have been on a slave ship. So this is the best time. And sometimes I do think about when I read that word in the Bible, it's a trigger word that takes me back to what I've heard in history. And if I was born in an earlier time, my life would have been so different. I mentioned I went to the Museum of the Bible um, while we lived near D.C., but we also tried to check out every single Smithsonian um, museum that we could go to. And one of the ones we went to was the African-American Museum. I remember seeing the slave ships that they built these two-foot-tall compartments. They literally transported people like cattle across the Atlantic Ocean. They were viewed as less than human. And I think about how people tried to twist God's word to, to try to produce, like, for their own profit, their own benefit. And I think that could have been me just a few centuries ago. So there's something about when I hear that word, it's a bit of a trigger word for me. And it takes me back to if I would have lived during any other time, my life would have been so different than it is now. And I'm so grateful for God's grace. But as as I went back and studied this word, I started to think, you know what? At the end of the day, look, God's word supersedes any feelings that I may have. What he teaches in his word supersedes any notions that I may have. And as I went back to look to this word, this may only be me for today, but I'm gonna share it with you anyway. That word, bondservant, That word that's translated slave in Bible means something so different from what we know in our history and also in our culture. In fact, you know, oftentimes like Paul, when he was writing to the church and he was helping to build the church, helping churches to be the church as he would encourage them or challenge them or at times correct them, he would often start his letters in certain ways. Look at these verses starting in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. He says, look, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. In Titus chapter 1 verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, he, he talks about you know, the church together. He says, Look, this is how, how one should regard us as servants of Christ and the stewards of the mystery of God. Then I was reminded of Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, where Paul writes He says, Look, let each of you not only look to his own interest. And again, the, not only look to your own interest. That points to look. that The Bible never says, like, don't not care for yourself, right? Like, you do need to be a, a healthy follower of Jesus. Healthy things grow, like we talked about last week. But he says, don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Every single time you see that word bondservant in scripture, every single time you see the word servant in scripture, in the original language it's the word doulos, which means slave, but it means Servant. What Paul was trying to point this church to is that right now, if you are in Christ and you are in the church, we all have one master. But that master is looking for more servants. Church, I want to challenge you that you will look to the master, but you would see yourself as a servant. One that serves the Lord. In whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it is your job, whether it is here in the church, man, whether you're serving your family as a mom, whatever situation you find yourself in, I would wanna challenge you. You would see that you have one master, but you are called to be a servant of the Lord. And as our worship team goes ahead and make their way back up to the stage, I also wanna challenge you that you would serve in the church and also in the community. Look, we have been called to serve. And I really wanna challenge you that this would be the season and you would find yourself serving in this local church. Look, we really are on a mission. We wanna develop authentic followers of Jesus. And as we continue to grow, we need more people to say, you know what? I'm gonna be willing to not only look to my own interests, but to look to the interest of others. I would challenge you just like my former pastor way back in the day did, pastor from football coach to pastor, that you wouldn't just sit on the bench, but you will get in the game. That you will be a part of what God wants to do in you and through you. And this could be the season that when you decide to serve, when you humble yourself and serve, that you see that your master in heaven really does have an incredible inheritance for you, that your master in heaven will give you every single thing that you need, that you will help build his kingdom and bring renewal to so many people around you. Let's pray. Father God, I wanna thank you, Lord, again for your word. And I wanna thank you, Lord, that you've called us to serve. And Lord, we really do look to you You are our master. I know, Lord, that language is not politically correct language, but you are our Lord. God, we want to follow you. We want to serve you. And Lord, I pray for the people sitting in this room that in whatever they find themselves doing, in whatever the situation that they would serve, they would serve heartily, God, with their whole hearts, remembering that we are really serving Christ. So yes, Lord, that is in the home as moms serve kids, as dads serve kids. If that is in our jobs, God, no matter what our bosses are doing, I pray that we remember that we have a heavenly boss, a heavenly master, and that we would serve. God, in whatever situation, in the church, out in the community, that we would serve you with our whole hearts. And I pray, God, that as a result of us humbling ourselves, that the church will grow. You will get all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's stand and sing one more song.